Please turn to Proverbs and chapter 31, and our title and subject this morning is taken from verse 10. The subject is the godly woman, or as it says here in verse 10, the virtuous woman, the woman who is full of goodness, godliness, and virtue. Well, don't think if you're a man this morning that this isn't applicable to you. The whole chapter is good for men, for women, for children, as we shall see. Next week I shall speak, God willing, about the godly man. But our focus today is to understand how the Word of God describes and defines how do we look at godliness and how do we see it worked out in the life of women, those who fear God. That's the source of all godliness. That's what it says in verse 30. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. We admire, we appreciate, we lift up, we estimate so highly in our mind those who demonstrate the characteristics and virtues shown in this chapter. That's not what the world does. The world has distorted thinking. It lifts up people who they admire for an altogether different set of reasons. Those who promote themselves. Those who have outward beauty, perhaps. But this chapter is going to teach us very different things that we should use as benchmarks, as aspirational characteristics. They should be true of all women, but particularly believers. Whether you are a wife, or whether you're a mother, or whether you are a woman walking in God's ways, or whether you are a young girl and you desire one day to be a wife, a mother, and the sort of person described here. People say, are you a Proverbs 31 woman? Maybe you don't know what that means. Well, it's based upon this chapter. If you just turn back to the beginning, of the chapter you see it says in verse 1 the words of King Lemuel we don't know anything about this king except he had evidently a very godly mother and his mother taught him it says in verse 1 and that's what the words of this chapter are they are what his godly mother taught him and so they are written down. As far as I know, there isn't one book of the Bible that's written by a woman. No, preachers and writers of God's Word are those who are men. But there are a number of exceptions when it comes to small parts of, the God, of God's Word, and Proverbs 31 is an exception. She was somebody that spoke in prophecy 
God gave her the words to say. She handed it down to to her son, and either she or he wrote down. You can think also of Hannah's prayer. That's recorded in the Word of God. And Deborah's song. Deborah's song was written down. But those are the exceptions. No, the Word of God is mostly written by men. But we shall consider this morning the mother of King Lemuel. Now there is one of those many lies that get told today. Satan has many lies, and this is one that gets peddled very often. The Bible stamps on women. It denigrates women. It looks down at them. That's a complete lie. When you think of how The Word of God, written long ago when the culture of the time did think very little of women. Just think for a minute. In the Old Testament alone, the lives of Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, Rahab, Ruth, Esther, Deborah, I could go on. These lives are held up in the most as being virtuous lives where God worked and we are to admire their faith we're to learn from those lives they are held up not pushed down because God had worked in their life and they had real living faith what about the New Testament Mary Mary Magdalene Eunice, Lois, Lydia, Priscilla, I could go on. The Bible is not a book that looks down at women. It's a book that lifts up women and holds godly women in very, very high regard. I've said this before recently. Who was entrusted to see the risen Christ first? Women, not men. The women were entrusted to keep the prayer meetings in churches that nearly closed down through the years. The women were the ones who would not allow the prayer meeting to close. Very often, some churches I know, there are only women. And if it wasn't for the prayers of the godly women, those churches would have shut the doors. Maybe the men were away in the war. Maybe the, when, the men were away in work or duty. Or they didn't have the desire to pray, but the women were the ones that held things together. And so we see in this chapter a fine example of how this woman, evidently a godly woman, teaches her son. Well, just look at the first few verses. What, my son, she's speaking to a king. What, the son of my womb, my own child, the one that I made vows over. We don't know what those vows were. We don't often make vows about children. But maybe this woman said, if this child is to fear God, 
then I will give my child to the service of the nation. And this child, if this child grows up to be strong and healthy, I will give this child back to God so that he can become a godly king. And I will do everything I can to impart all the experience, the wisdom that God has taught me, even to the king. Look what she says. Here's some advice for the king. Don't give your life to many women. Verse 3. No, you be faithful. Don't give your life to the ways that have destroyed kings. Solomon, he was destroyed by many women. Verse 4. It's not for kings to be taken up by strong drink. In fact, it's not for anybody to be taken up by strong drink and by excessive wine. It says here, it says, leave drink, verse 6, to those who want to escape. You won't escape with drink. Verse 6, those who are ready to die, that want to escape from their sorrow and their pain, perhaps, and their heavy hearts, but not the king, not a godly person, not somebody who should be distracted by such things, women, strong drink. Verse 7, let him that drinks, who tries to escape from his poverty, and to remember his misery for a time, no more. Well, she's giving wisdom to her son. And so she's going to define through this poem. It's written in a very interesting way. You know, Psalm 119 is written with each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So is this poem in Proverbs 31. That's very interesting from a literary perspective, but you see God's Word is recorded in different ways, different ways to imprint truth upon the mind. And that's what she's doing. She's saying to you and to me, listen, here's the godly woman. This is how it's to be defined. And men, if you're to look for a wife, look for a godly woman. And children, if you're to admire and praise your mother, look for a godly mother. And young girls, if you're to aspire to anything, aspire to be like this woman. I think it's a, it's a self-portrait. She was evidently qualified the mother of Lemuel. And through the verses of this chapter, it's as though on a big canvas, in lots of bright colors, she paints a picture of herself. For this is what she's learned. She's evidently a wealthy woman, what you would expect to have as a king, a mother that was wealthy. She had a big household, and so she's describing her life, which is evidently very blessed. And the source of her blessing stems right back 
as it says in verse 30, because she feared the Lord. Let me ask you that question this morning. Do you fear the Lord? A person who fears the Lord wants his rule, his ways, what he values to be the values and the ways and the loves of your life. That's searching. Is that true of you and me? Do we really fear the Lord? Not just to bow down, not just to be worshippers, but to be those that bow their knee and their heart. And everything about our life is to be shaped by what God says is good. For what God says is good is what I want. Let's look at some of these attributes. If you go through the chapter, it's a good thing to do. I think you can find at least 16 different qualities. We won't go through them all. I've grouped them into six headings this morning. 16 qualities of a godly, virtuous, full of virtue, full of goodness, a virtuous woman. The first heading for us this morning is in verse 10. She is priceless. Who can find a virtuous woman? It's as though there's a search going on. This woman, Lemuel's mother, she looks around and she sees many women, many girls, but there's not many of them who are really godly. Psalm 12, David says about men, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. Well, that's true. But we'll look at that next week. But it's equally true of godly women. Now, please don't think this is a response to a lack of godliness that I see here. We are blessed to see in the lives of many here these attributes folded out in the lives of many especially our elderly, because godliness is something that grows in the life. It comes more and more as the life goes on. But we can ask the question, where is the godly woman? Who can find her? She is worth far above rubies. That speaks of something very unusual and very rare. It's not common. If we look at the common way of women, and I say this carefully, we don't see these qualities. Not in the world. We see very different attributes lifted up. Where is the virtuous woman? She is priceless. When you have women like this in a church, they are invaluable. They do a work. They set an example, which is the very powerhouse of the church. It's the pillar of the church. They are the foundations, humanly speaking, upon which so many churches are built. She is a woman of virtue. What does it say here? 
Her husband, this woman, was married evidently because she had a son. We know that. The heart of her husband, oh, he dwells and lives safely with her. He trusts her. He knows that what she does and what she says and how she organizes her life is eminently, utterly trustworthy. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her. He can tell her things. And she won't go and gossip to others. Her heart is trustworthy. He will have no need of spoil. She's a provider. She obviously puts food and clothing before the children and the family and the husband as they're required, and he utterly trusts her. He has full confidence in her. He goes to work, perhaps, in ancient times. You, today, many have to go to work. And there is the opportunity to work for some, because the work at home isn't as laborious and difficult and time-consuming as once it was when there was no more technology and there wasn't the equipment that we have today. But this husband, he trusts her. And he benefits from her. Look at verse 12. She will do him good. In fact, that's one of her aims. She desires to do good for her husband. To do good and not evil all the days of her life. That's lovely, isn't it? What's your desire as a wife? As a woman? Do you desire to do good for others? Not for self, she will do good and not evil all the days of her life. It's in the context of her husband. He is affirmed by her. He knows that she's trustworthy. Well, look down at verse 15. There's another aspect of her pricelessness and her Rarity, it says here, she rises up while it's still night. She gives meat to her household and a portion to those that live within the house. Her girls, maybe they were attendants in the royal household. Oh, she's so valuable. If she wasn't there, oh, it would be so noticed. You can take the husband away, he goes and travels, he goes to work, he goes and does his duty, but take the woman away, maybe that household would fall to pieces before too long. She is priceless, valuable, loved and admired. She's a role model. She's a mother who provides for many. Well, secondly... What does she really care about? What's her chief concerns? Well, as you go through the chapter, you can list them. There's a number of them. She evidently concerned about her husband. She wants to do him good. If she has children, she'll obviously be concerned about the children. Early in life, that might be her chief occupation, caring for the children. 
but she's a big-hearted woman. She's able to look beyond her borders and to look for those who have great needs. Look down at verse 20. This is a delightful verse. She stretches out her hand. She's not just self-occupied. She's not occupied only with her own home. No, she reaches out. She reaches out to her neighbors. She reaches out to the town and the village. She sees people that have needs. She reaches forth her hands to the needy. This is a big-hearted woman. A woman who sees need. And she's like a magnet. She's driven to it. She can't help herself. Sometimes she takes on too much and her husband has to say to her, you just need to slow down. You need to attend to various priorities. But she can't help herself because she's so big-hearted. She sees children. She wants to gather them. It reminds me of a pastor's wife that's gone to glory now. I remember her in Southampton. We used to go to that church sometimes, and this woman, she was 90. I think she died at something like 95 or 6, if I remember rightly. And at the age of 90, she was gathering children from the neighborhood into her own family, into her own house. And she would have Sunday school after school every day in her house. And the children of the neighborhood, they knew there was always some sweets on hand. There was always a bookmark. There was a book. There was an encouragement. Oh, she was the lady known in the neighborhood for opening her home. She stretched forth her hands to the needy. Oh, that's, that's lovely, isn't it? Not preoccupied with self, not preoccupied with her own family. She's looking for opportunity, looking for need. What can I do? What can I give? How can I extend my coast and my borders and my boundaries? And she looks and sees, I could do that. I could help there. I've got a little bit of time at that part of the day when the children are at school or they're occupied, I could just do a bit more. It's not much, it's the widow's might, but I could help. That's her attitude. Her chief care and concern, husband, children, household, and those outside the household. She's learned to be like Christ. We have that phrase in the New Testament, ye have not so learned Christ. How do we learn Christ? We learn to have a servant spirit. This is what this woman has. What about me time? What about downtime? What about spa time? Oh yes, there might be a place for that. But what about other time? What about time for other people? 
You don't mention anything in this chapter about downtime and leisure time. No doubt she had it. She enjoyed her children. She enjoyed her husband. But her chief main preoccupation is with others. That's her attention. Her chief care and concern is for others. Thirdly, what does she do all day? Sometimes people say, I don't know what she does at home all day. Well, maybe that's true of some. But this woman, oh, we have no doubt what she does. Verse 13, she seeks wool, she seeks flax, she works willingly with her hands. She's like the ship's merchants. She's adventurous. She goes and buys food, whether it's to sell or to put interesting food on the table. She's looking. She's seeing. I can make this. I can buy that. She's industrious. Her hands, they're not still. She's industrious. She's a self-starter. She works willingly with her hands. She doesn't do it grudgingly. She's adventurous. She's a visionary. She sees a piece of land and she says, I could do something with that. I could grow more. I could create a garden for people to come and sit in. I could do something. She sees a piece of land and plants a vineyard. I thought that was the husband's job, not this woman. She's industrious. She works, she sees, she spots opportunity, and she does so much. Verse 17, she becomes a strong woman. Her loins, her arms. She's not a slight woman. She's a woman that's grown muscles where you don't normally find them. She's girded up her loins. She's a woman of resilience. This speaks of inner strength as well as outer strength. She burns the candle at both ends. Verse 18, she gets up early before the sun is up and at night time she stretches the day by having a candle on, sewing, weaving, making clothes for the children and for herself. She uses the time. Her work is industrious. It's varied. Just think how hard it was then. There was no washing machine, no microwave. She had to sew, reap, cut, cook, wash, make. All of those duties were down to her. Yes, this woman is a bit different. She's got maids and helpers, and evidently she's running a sort of business, and she's selling and she's making good out of what she's got. Verse 21, all her household are clothed with scarlet. Yes, she's got money. Not everybody has that. Some people have to make do. But this woman, 
She's making her own clothes, verse 21. She could have got somebody to do that, but she won't. She's making tapestry, and she's making clothes that are comfortable out of purple and silk. Well, she works, and she works. What a picture of a godly woman. Do we think of godliness as being the opposite? A godly woman doesn't get involved. A godly woman is always and only in the word of God. A godly woman is pray, pray, pray. Well, yes, she does. But that's not the picture here. She's a balanced woman. She's in the word of God and she prays and she fears the Lord. But she does everything she can as well. And it's because she fears the Lord that she does everything else that she can. Fourthly, what about her heart? What is it that motivates her, drives her? What is her disposition? Well, she has a heart, it says, of kindness. She's known for her kindness. She's a woman that gives. She doesn't need anything back. She sacrifices time, energy, and she doesn't need anything in response. She doesn't do it for what she gets. She does it because of her fear of the Lord. She's big-hearted. She takes the long view. Verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. And she will rejoice, not now, but in time to come. You see, when you're a mother and a wife, to do the right thing, you need to see that one day, if you sow, you will reap. If you care for the children when they can't speak to you in the daytime, because they're not yet of that age, or they have additional needs and learning, then one day you'll see and you will rejoice in time to come. The godly mother takes the long view. She has perspective. She takes the view that if I care for my ungodly husband, there will be benefit in time to come. Strength and honor are her clothing. She's learned and gained strength by overcoming the difficulties and the challenges. And as a result of that, her husband, when he goes to speak, verse 23, and he speaks well of his wife to those who are the elders, the lawmakers who sit at the gates, he speaks well of his wife. Oh, that's lovely. Do we speak well of our wives, husbands? You should do. You should find something to be praiseworthy of. Far more compliments and praises than moans and groans and complaints. What about her speech, fifthly? The speech, sometimes people say wrongly, women are the worst gossips. The worst slanderers. Just look at Proverbs 9. 
and verse 13. I'm not saying this is true of women, but it is the picture painted of the ungodly woman. Proverbs 9, verse 13. If we look at this and one other verse, then we can see the contrast. A foolish woman, the Bible's language for an ungodly woman, is clamorous. That word means that she's loud, noisy, known by what she says, known by her many words. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple, easily led astray, and she knows nothing. Well, that's a contrast. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 19. A verse often used by husbands for the wrong reason. Proverbs 21 and verse 19. This is what some men say wrongly. It is better to dwell in the wilderness with an argumentative, contentious woman and a woman that's angry. Well, you see, that's true sometimes. Some men just want to get away because it's argue, argue, argue. This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But not the godly woman. The godly woman is altogether different. Verse 26. This is a text to remember. Verse 26 of Proverbs 31. This is the godly woman. She's not clamorous. She's not argumentative. She doesn't gossip. She doesn't slander. She doesn't cut and run other people down. She opens her mouth with wisdom. You want to listen to her because the words she says, they're worth listening to. They build people up. They're wise. They're full of experience. And her very tongue is the law of kindness. She speaks well of others. She speaks well of her husband, even when it's very difficult to, because the husband gives her every reason not to. He hardly lifts his hand at home, but she finds something that he's good at and that he does and says, oh, my husband, he's so good at this. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue, you know that when she speaks, it's become like a law, like a proverb. Her words spit off the tongue, and they're kind. We have some here today. You don't have a husband, or your husband's left you. But these are true of all women. These are attributes and virtues that we should all aspire to, and particularly women. The tongue should be known for the law of kindness. At heart, the godly woman is a teacher. Through her words, she's teaching. She's teaching kindness, teaching wisdom, teaching things which build up. That's what she does. She sees a little child. She wants to build them up. She sees her husband, and she wants to build him up. She opens her mouth 
and wise words come out. Well, finally, a sixth heading. What of her life? When you stand back and you look at her life, what can you say about her life? Verse 28, well, this is what her children say. Mothers, I hope you've got children that would say this of you. I'm sure you have. And grandmothers this morning. Her children, they get up and they call her blessed. She's got the blessing of God in her life because she fears God. And her children, they bear testimony and they say, Oh, our mother, our mother, she's not like that. Our mother does everything for us. There's never too much for her to do. Our mother, she's so kind. When I've done wrong, she doesn't scold me. I deserve it. But she says to me, you could have done that better. You should have done that. She comes with a kind word. When I deserve the opposite. Oh, our mother, she's praiseworthy. And what does her husband say? He praises her. He lifts her up. He builds up her confidence. Sometimes women, their confidence is shattered by just a comment that's said by somebody unkindly. And the husband says, take no notice. I know that's wrong. I know that's not true. That's not the woman I know. He praises her. Well, many daughters, verse 29, they've done good things. But this woman, the godly woman, the model woman, the definition of godliness, she excels all of them. That's what we should aspire to. That's what we want women to be like. This is biblical womanhood. What does feminism say? It says the very opposite. It says the godly, good woman. It doesn't use the word godly because feminism and godliness are a complete contradiction. But it lifts up the virtue of the strong woman who's got opinions about everything. That's not the godly woman. The word of God says biblical womanhood is serving is sacrificial. Biblical womanhood is on the inside. Read verse 30. Favor, what people say about you is deceitful, it's dishonest, and beauty is vain. You marry a woman for her beauty alone, it one day might disappoint you, because beauty fades. Beauty is a lie. It comes, it goes, it vanishes. I don't think that's always true. I think real beauty sometimes shows on the outside. As the inside is cleansed, so you see the godliness of a woman in her smile, in her disposition, in her words and in her ways. But, verse 30, it's in italics, it's added for emphasis, but... A woman that fears the Lord, she shall 
be praiseworthy. We live in a godless age where the godly woman is turned upside down. The majority of approval for women today on social media is appearance. The majority of approval comes from the entertainment industry and it speaks about self-worth, self-esteem. That's nonsense. That's not what the Word of God records for us. This chapter is here to define what godliness looks like. A woman that fears the Lord, that's the beginning of true godliness. Praise God, we have godly women in this church. Women who are growing in godliness. May it be true. And may our young women come to look up to those who they see as modeling godliness in a growing and deepening way. May the Lord help us in these things.